All right, everybody, welcome to B.O. Boys for Tuesday, May 16th. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And Clayton, we had a huge weekend at the box office, a comeback story of sorts for Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, this is such a big deal. I don't think we were going to be able to cover this alone. So we brought in a heavy hitter in here for the first time ever. Uh, He is the host of Midnight Movie Talk. He is one of the fastest rising movie critic, box office analyst stars on YouTube. Eric Weber is here. Eric, thanks for joining us on the BO Boys. Absolute pleasure. And there is so much to talk about. I mean, we were just, you know, doing the pre-show here and there's so many things going on and this summer is shaping up to be super strong and, and we're going to get to fast X in a minute, but, but I, I'm, I'm just really encouraged by where we're headed here uh, theatrically. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. going to, we're going to quickly run through this top five and then, and then get into it. But I think this guardians hold that we're about to hear mm-hmm. right now is a great sign for the state of theatrical. So Clayton, before we get started, could you give us a plow of the top five from the weekend of Friday, May 12th, was it? Yep. It's Friday, May 12th. May 12th. There we go. Number one, Guardians of, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 made $62 million, down only 48%. It is now at $214.7 million in its second weekend. Number two, the Super Mario Brothers movie made $12.6 million, down 32%. It lost 109 theaters. It's at $535.5 million in its sixth frame. Number three, a newbie. Oh, boy. Book Club, the next chapter, $6.6 million in its first weekend. Mother's Day weekend. Oh, my goodness. Number four, Evil Dead Arise made $3.7 million, down only 37%. It lost 215 theaters. It's at $60.1 million in its fourth weekend. And number five, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, made $2.5 million, down 22%. It's hemorrhaging theaters, losing 978 theaters. It's at $16.4 million in its third frame. And I guess let's just go to six because we got a newbie and we're going to talk about this because our guest has seen this movie. Mm. Hypnotic, distributed by Ketchup Entertainment. <laughs> Let that sink in there. $2.4 <laughs> million dollars in its opening frame. Oh. That's your top six. All right. So let's start at the top. Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two. And listen, on this week, on our weekend preview episode last week, we were predicting the standard 60 plus percent drop for this movie. And I've seen this film. I liked it. It's, it's getting great reviews and audience scores, but nevertheless, we both thought this was going to drop about what all the Marvel movies do about what all the number one openers do, which is at least 60%. This holds is incredible. So Eric, let's start with you. How did this happen? And, and how surprising and encouraging is this incredible hold a less than 50% drop for a number one Marvel film? This is incredible. What is your take? on It is. Uh, yeah. Typically you're looking at 60. I, th- I thought we were going to get uh 55. I thought we could get 55 somewhere in that range, but at 48, uh, that speaks to, we talk so much about cinema score, right? People say no one pays attention to cinema score. Of course they don't. That's not why, you know, no one says knows the, what the grade is for guardians. You know, you and I do. And, and a few people, the listeners probably do, but an a cinema score says that word of mouth is super strong. Mm-hmm. And, and this weekend proved exactly that, that, a lot of people who decided to skip out on opening weekend that maybe are feeling some CBM fatigue, they said, I will go check this film out because the word of mouth was so strong on the film. And that's why we see it at minus 48. Yeah, it it, it really, you know, listen, on this show, the last couple of weeks, especially since Quantumania, there's been all of the Marvel fatigue talk, Marvel's in decline. Mm-hmm. And listen, I don't think this movie solves those problems. But I think what it does show is people will still respond to one of these movies if they think it's going to be good and they think it's going to be different. And I still don't think this is going to solve the problem of having the Marvels come out and having Thunderbolts and having the Captain America that doesn't have Mm -hmm. Chris Evans in it. I think those problems are still there. But this weekend shows if people think a movie is going to be good and are told a movie is going to be good, 
they will see it even if they are overall not as hyped on superhero movies as they were four years ago. Yeah, it's going to be interesting going forward because used to be everybody would just run out because it's Marvel. And now, like you said, there are those people that are reticent. They're going to say, hey, is this thing actually good? Because I sat through some stinkers in this last couple years. And so, again, the word of mouth was good, and we saw that in the numbers. So this is positive for Guardians. This is positive for Marvel right now. But again, like you said, Pat, this feels like a stay of execution to me more than anything, because that slate coming up, oh boy, yeah. that is not look promising yeah i mean eric well, we've heard you talk have... about the marvels get you know mm-hmm. give us give us your thoughts on where this bodes for the future of these marvel movies well the good news is they have six months until the marvels mm-hmm. we need time right i mean that's what we look at the best pop artists from my youth and even today i get taylor swift what is she so good at she comes out does her thing puts an album out and then disappears for a yes. while because you need time away to regenerate interest and i think this 6 months is the best thing that the Marvels could have going for it, but that trailer just doesn't do much for me. I mean, it looks like Shazam all over again, Mm. and I had zero fun with Shazam 2, so I'm not looking forward to the film. I mean, this is a film that's still in trouble. I don't even know if we can tie them together, uh, Guardians and Marvels. Um, Sure, this helps, I think, with the, the hold being as strong as it is and the film being strong and word of mouth. But ultimately, when we get to the Marvels, it will depend on how good the film is. Is it a great film? Is it a good film? Is it less than that? Uh, That'll determine how successful that film is. But right now, I wouldn't expect anything better than Shang-Chi. Those are the numbers I would look at for that film, and maybe even lower than that. Yeah. I mean, it could be their first ever like legitimate bomb. I mean, it could be their good dinosaur. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think this weekend, this hold for Guardians is a huge win for James Gunn, I think. And, you know, it's a huge win for DC Films in a way because this is the guy they're hinging supposedly the next five to ten years of their slate on. And I think the Suicide Squad movie did a few years ago. That gets a pass. It's the COVID summer, blah, blah, blah. But if this Guardians movie would have underperformed, which it doesn't look like is gonna, I think that puts a big stain on the start of James Gunn as the head of DC Films. This doing well, I think even though it's an MCU film, is great for DC. They needed this guy to come out of the gate and show he is, you know, still still at the top of his game. Yeah. And though I do want to poo-poo this because I know it's this drop this drop is great. It's a very low drop. It's the best I guess, drop post-COVID, as they say, for an MCU movie. But it did open significantly lower than the first two volumes, right? So we are looking at something where if this would have dropped this amount and it made 144, like Love and Thunder, then we're really talking something here. But I mean, 118, pretty low, and it dropping, you know, uh, pretty low. I mean, that's fine, but it's not like... I don't think this is ticker tape parade, but I definitely think this is best case scenario for this movie. Right. Okay. It's it's like it's like 160 million behind Doctor Strange too. Right. Yeah. Right. In the same point in the cycle, so that's exactly what you're discussing here is that uh, it's all relative, right? So this is still 160 million worldwide minus on this. That's that's not fantastic. Uh, but they got the best news. I guess the best way to to spin this this weekend for Marvel and certainly for Disney is they got the best they could possibly hope for with this whole. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is, this could have been real bad. We could have been sitting here right now talking about a 68% drop. And mm-hmm. at that point, you're full on starting to lower the casket for Marvel. You know, and mm-hmm. I think the casket has been pushed over is 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 not being lowered right now it's it's we're, we're waiting until the marvels comes out to keep lowering the gasket mm-hmm. so yeah it was huge because mm-hmm. this could have been a really bad news cycle for marvel and instead you got the bo boys you got eric weber talking about how it is you know ma- making some recent history which is is great for them and i got a fistful of dirt 
but I got nowhere to throw it yet. Right. So I'm just right. going to keep holding on to it. Right. Right. So one other, I think we, I mean, we got to say it, big winner right now. He's got the top two movies and, you know, this guy, he gets a lot of whatever online, uh, I don't want to say hate, but y- you got, you got the star of the top two movies in the world right now in the Super Mario Brothers and Guardians of the Galaxy. Is this, this is the top Chris. Could we all agree right now as far as movie stardom goes? This is the Chris. And he kind of has been for a while now. It's just one of those things where people don't want to admit it. But like financially, box office wise, there's no competition. Who's even in competition with him? Right, right. For the Chris's. For the Chris's, yeah. But I I mean, this, this this, this is something you don't see very often is that the same actor with the top two movies in the world, multiple weekends in a row. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we got to give our propers there. So why don't we move on to the new movie that came out this weekend book club, the next chapter, this is going to be, I would say book club, the last chapter. Yeah. Retitle this, rebrand this. This is a live, die, repeat situation. Yeah. Just go on. Cause this is how you're going to get people in the theater. This is the last one, ladies. Yeah. We're doing it. Yeah. Sorry. You know, and then that'll be people be like, oh, wait, this is the last one. I got to go. That's the only chance for this movie to make any sort of bones here. Yeah. Have you seen this film, Eric? Have is this? No, I haven't. It, no, and I'm not going to. It's not. <laughs> Listen, I suffered through 80 for Brady. That okay. was enough for me. Okay. And they're they're so similar, right? I mean, it's just the same audience. And I think that if you really want to want you answer the question, why did this film not do the numbers? Not that it's ever going to open it like forty million, but it didn't do well this weekend because I think that you got to remember the older audiences don't go to the movie theaters very often, mm. and they were just there a few months ago for eighty for Brady. So th- they'll go again maybe in six months. So if Book Club had come out like in September, it would do better. But I swear. That it took it cannibalized, right? It took yeah. audience away. Eighty for eighty absolutely took uh, money away from book club too. Yeah, I mean, and then also, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Also mm-hmm. had a very older female yep. audience, so they were either tapped out or, or not interested mm-hmm. enough in this. And I think the other thing too is that, like you said about the cannibalization of of that, this is just uh, a, another sort of like sitcommy movie that they had seen a million times. And they didn't have the budget pricing that 80 for Brady had. If you would have done that sort of matinee style all day pricing for this movie, you probably would have seen an uptick because you would have seen someone say, you know what? I wasn't going to go to the theater, but an $8 ticket, a $7 ticket, whatever it is, that's going to entice people. Yeah, it uh, it it definitely is a situation where I mean, we've talked about this when the 80 for Brady trailer came out. The audience thought that was book club too. And yeah, I think that this bears that to be true. People thought they already saw this movie you know, I think there's a percentage of the audience that thought this was a quick turnaround re-release of something. They mm-hmm. went to the theaters to see three months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what cost this movie millions is that first joke in that 80 for Brady trailer where the one woman wrote the Gronk, uh, uh, what is that? The slash fiction or whatever it's called. Yes. That romance novel. They thought that was the book for the book club. Yes. And that's what cost <laughs> this movie millions. Yes. yes. was one joke in a trailer. Yes. yes. Of a different movie. Yeah. I, I think that there's also the thing we keep underplaying with the original book club is that that, uh, that movie was based around them reading a very popular book at the time, which mm-hmm. was the what's the book that that they made? Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey, of course. And this book club movie does not have a similar phenomenon book that these older actresses are reading. And I think we re- and that was right in the middle of the Fifty Shades of Grey movie craze, or right at the tail of it. That was probably a huge reason why that movie overperformed as much as it did. You know, the, they should have been reading Harry's memoir. Yes, yes. <laughs> or Crawdads. Why not Crawdad Singh? That thing was a hit. Why not read that book? Right, right. 
this movie didn't have that phenomenon book at the center of it. It just had the actresses who we thought were in the movie that came out three months ago. Um, Is this... Is this a, you know, we talked about the decline or the trouble that maybe comic book movies are in or a little bit of a slump. Is this movie failing going to put a hurting on the sort of grandma movies genre? You know, do we think we're going to see any more Jane Fonda-esque comedies at the box office in the next few years? Or is this maybe put a, put a pause on production for those types of movies? You, know, you just got to space them out. I mean, it's it's really mm-hmm. just all about the. It's too too close to uh, to eighty for Brady. I mean, if you would have spaced this again, it is out September, October. We'd be talking about something that was a little bit better. Um, but ultimately, right, everything changed COVID wise uh, when we had the windows shortened from ninety days to God knows seventeen right. in some cases. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, especially older audiences, they don't want to leave the house. I mean, like my parents, great example. I, I tell them, hey, you got to go to the movie and see this or this. They go, we'll just wait till it's on streaming. They waited for air. It was like, what, 45 days for air? Right. So Book Club 2 will probably be on streaming in like a week and a half. Right. So that's the problem with these shortened windows. Films like this are going to get destroyed uh, by those tight windows. You need a longer window to, if anyone really wants to see the movie, they know they have to go to a movie theater to see it. Right. Now, I, I've heard you yeah. talk about this a lot, Eric, on your shows, and I think they still haven't figured out what that new reality is. I mean, I don't think you could ever go back to or anyone would want to go back to, you know, nine months from theatrical until we start to see it on pay-per-view and then a year before it's on cable. But mm-hmm. there, it does seem like there needs to be a a harder window or at least figuring out a way to, to keep people keep people from expecting that they're going to see it so soon afterwards. You know, there, there needs to be some kind of middle ground where it is not you're waiting a year before you could get it at home. But especially for a film like this, there definitely is the expectation, especially when it bombs, that I could see this mm-hmm. in three weeks. They just got to set it and say it's 45. I mean, split the difference. It was 90 before, make it 45. That's a month and a half, right? So at least that gives it the space it needs. It's still going to be difficult for these smaller films because after COVID, during COVID, these people sat at home and watched films like that at home. Everything was Mm -hmm. given to you there on the sofa. So to retrain the audience to come back to movie theaters to see things like Margaret, Book Club 2, films like that is going to be difficult without that lengthy window. And even with it, it's still going to be more difficult than it was. I mean, we saw it kind of suffering a lot of these adult dramas before COVID. You know, go back and look at Amazon Studios' first entry into the marketplace when they had those films that went theatrical and none of them did well. It's just tough. And and that's why, you know, we see the box office succeed or fail based on these huge tent poles, largely. Occasionally we have something like Everything Everywhere that comes in and does well. But but in general, it's going to be these larger budgeted tentpole films that are going to keep the marketplace afloat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what's also kind of interesting, if you notice with these older skewing films, is that as much as this is a demographic that has not changed their spending habits or their, the products they buy in years, right? Because you don't market to people over 45 or 55 because they already know what toothpaste they want. They already know what car they drive, things like that sequels tend to do worse with this this group where it's you got the exotic marigold hotel too which didn't do well you have the downton abbey sequel that didn't do well you have this now doing well uh, not doing well so it's weird that this group is like i seen it and i'm done there's a, there's a novelty aspect to these movies so i feel like even if you did space out book club 2 away from 80 for brady people would still think it's old news if they're still around to see it. Well, the further you go, with, I go back to uh, Downton Abbey, right? There's three of those now. I, I have not watched one, 
but but when you the further you go for a niche film like that, especially an older audience skewing film, you're gonna lose attrition, right? You're gonna lose people that were already into before, and you're not gonna get new people to come in because like I never saw Downton Abbey one or two, so your audience is gonna shrink. So you know, to your point, any sequel for uh, adult skewing film is gonna have a harder time mm-hmm. because people are like, I didn't see the first one. I mean, I remember people telling me that about John Wick four, mm-hmm. and that wasn't even you know older skewing film. Yeah. I the other John Wicks. I'm like, doesn't matter. Go see John Wick 4. So that's going to be a problem uh, and a real issue for, for studios getting people to join into a film when they didn't even see the first one or two. Right. Yeah. Right. And with the superhero movies, even if you've missed something, YouTube is filled with recap videos. Here's everything mm-hmm. you need to know about Doctor Strange. You don't see as many of those for something like a book club, you know, and maybe that <laughs> is something that would be helpful as more of a Get inside the cinematic universe of a book club. Here's your primer, 10 things that you have to know about the character of a book club. And then that'll open up the sequels to be a lot more accessible the way the, the superhero movies are. Um, that's a you great can do lane those videos. For, I'm not doing them. I was going to say, that's a great lane for our YouTube, uh, Pat. We should talk about that at the HQ. Is book, book club catch-ups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. We're, we're, where, are the, uh, where are the girls from Palms now? Right, right. Um, and you know, I mean, that could be a situation where the way to juice the box office for these is to start to do some crossovers, you know, to have Jane Fonda (laughs) play her characters from all three of these movies and, and just bring them all together. So we'll see, but I do agree. I think this is the end of the book club franchise, at least theatrically, they could always turn this into a streaming Netflix series soon. Um, number four, Evil Dead Rise, continue to do great. Let's move down to number six because this is a big get. We have an actual human being that we could talk to that has seen Hypnotic, which is rare. You know, mm-hmm. not, not many people get to talk to someone who's seen Hypnotic. So this is a Robert Rodriguez movie starring Ben Affleck, who is... Yeah. In the middle of a comeback, you know, Air Air did really well, well liked. He hit the podcast circuit. It's on Bill Simmons. Everyone loved it. Ben Affleck's on the way back, but then he has this this weird thriller that he's starring in, where William Fickner, and I'm basing this off seeing the trailer, is the villain. It feels like a movie that has been held over for about thirty years. Mm-hmm. So so Eric, tell us about Hypnotic. Your take on it. Does the box office feel right? This movie made $2.4 million based on having seen it. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, I mean, it's a 1,000 per screen, so this is terrible. Uh, It's the worst opening for both these guys, Rodriguez and Affleck. And you think about Ben Affleck and how long his career's gone, and this is the worst. We knew it was going to do really bad, right? Uh, This is a film that was started by Solstice Studios, Mm -hmm. which... If you remember, did that uh, Russell Crowe? What was that thing called? Unhinged Road Rage movie. Unhinged. Unhinged, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So he did Unhinged, and and that was one of the first movies back in theaters, as you know, after COVID. Uh, And and then they put sixty five million dollars in Rodriguez's hands to make this film. That's a mishmash of Memento, Inception. It's got Firestarter, and overall. It's the worst of all those films. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben Affleck sleepwalks through the film. Uh, Direction looks like maybe worse than a television movie. It's just unimpressive across the board. So you knew it was dead, uh, but but you know two million for a sixty-five. This is how you go out of business. Solstice Studios mm-hmm. is no longer around because they yep. did things like this. Sixty-five million for this film that should have never been made at that budget. I I mean, and also let's discuss this. Ben Affleck. Um, I don't think he's he's a huge box office star. He he's good as a component, right? As a supporting character, as we saw with Air, certainly the director of that film. But but as a leading man, you know, you can't tell me that that Batman versus Superman made more money because it was Affleck. Maybe a slight bit, but it wasn't, you know, like it, he brought in half of the audience. He he's not Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. There's very few of those actors right. out there. Um, so I think you you see it here, and he didn't do any promotion because he knew this thing was dead. He wanted to distance himself from it, and I don't blame him after seeing it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's- and he had such goodwill from Air, I think, too, that he didn't want to follow Air mm-hmm. with a stinker. 
Mm-hmm. And I do think it's been forgotten. I mean, it's going to be forgotten because obviously it's going to go way, way further down the charts next week. People are going to be talking about Fast X. So he doesn't have to really worry about this hurting his his uh, his his career, or his uh, his, you know, n- next comeback. It seems mm-hmm. to be a guy who can have multiple comebacks. He's had so many and he will have more. It feels like. Yeah, it's a uh it, it, it is true that when you look at Ben Affleck's career, even in his comebacks, there's not a lot of movies where he's the star and it's a big hit other than the ones that he directed. You know, The mm-hmm. Town and Argo were sort of Argo. the exception. Gone Girl, of course, is a big hit. He's a supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Even in his comebacks, there aren't Ben Affleck is the reason you're going to see this. And mm-hmm. it's a huge hit. And uh, it, it's hypnotic is just one of those movies that is just very interesting that it exists. I think most people became aware that it existed like two weeks ago, if that. And mm-hmm. I think, like you said, Clayton, it's not going to hurt him because people are just not going to know that it happened. Yeah. And, and it almost feels like Hollywood's not going to care because it's not like he just cost Universal Studios or Disney a bunch of money. You know, everyone mm-hmm. who lost money on this is not in a position to green light a movie ever again anyway. So there's really no harm, no foul. Yeah. Nor should they have been, right? I mean, that's the, in this town, right? The new studio, they have to outbid the competition to get anybody to work for them, right? They're like, hey, we're this new studio. Well, you know, we're going to have to outpay to get the services of a Ben Affleck or in this case, Rodriguez. But I'm telling you, based on the script, based on all, I, I just, these are the decisions that get you destroyed in Hollywood. And that's yeah. exactly what happened to Solstice Studios. And, and the same thing, you know, listen, Let, uh, he's I'm going to do it. another Bo is Afraid. Yep. I'm not going to do, but, but look, Bo is Afraid, 35 million for that film. It's absurd. I don't care if it's A24 or who it doesn't, you can't give these directors this kind of cash for films that are going to crater at the box office. It'll just destroy you. I don't understand the mindset of some of these executives. I really can't even get inside their heads. So you don't like Bo is Afraid. Could we? Could is no. that's okay. Just wanted to clarify <laughs> that. Listen, anyone yeah. who follows Eric on Midnight Movie Talk, <laughs> he's had episodes called "Is Bo is Afraid the Worst Film I've Ever Seen?" Is oh. this a career killer? Those those are episode titles. So I think you could glean from that that you don't like the movie. I mean, I do think those are. Different cases. Solstice Studios is in a situation where they have to have a perfect batting average to survive because they're starting from nowhere. And you really got to go on an incredible hot streak to start a movie studio. I think with something like uh, A24, that's a concerted effort to, all right, this one might not make anything, but we want to keep him in the family. And hopefully his next movie is the one that wins an Oscar or you know, makes $80 million at the box office. But obviously, Souls of Studios is, they should have just made Unhinged 2, honestly. You just milk the Unhinged mm-hmm. franchise until, mm-hmm. until you, you know, you, until that well runs dry. Now, do you, going back to Bo really quick, do you think that anybody who liked his two previous movies will now not trust him after this one? Or do you think it'll just kind of be like, oh, that was a weird sort of, you know, uh, thing that was in his his, you know, uh, filmography now. But if he comes with a horror movie, I'm going to see it. Oh, for sure. I think it's it's got to be another horror film. I mean, he can't yeah. do another anything rem- resembling Bo is Afraid. Yeah, uh, because this is a film. It's what is it? A 10, not even 10 million worldwide. So thirty five million dollar budget. And we all know that there is advertising, right? It's not, you know, the typical, what is it, triple budget? It's not going to be that for this. They didn't put that much money into the marketing on it. But still, they've lost tens of millions of dollars on this film. Um, And I think that whatever he does next, you have to rein the budget in and you have to make it horror. Those are the mm-hmm. two things that have to happen. Even if it's horror, you can't give them 35. You have to say, we've got to figure out a way to get this budget down, tighten it up, lean it out, so that you don't have to be spending that much cash. Because, I mean, I'm not in A24's financials, but I'm just telling you, somebody, if I had a bunch of cash, I wouldn't be giving this guy that much money again until he proved himself with at least one film to rehabilitate his image. 
Yeah. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing that I feel like we disagree with is that I feel like they were like, we'll give you this one, and we know that it's not going to light up the box office, right? Sure. We hope that maybe, but we know that this won't. But your next one, like you said, your next one has to be a home run. It's got to build off of that goodwill that you had with those first two. And like Pat said, we want an Oscar nomination out of you. Like, I'm not saying they didn't sit him down, you know, and have this like, you know, in a, in a fucking boardroom and somebody's holding a phone book over his head about to mm-hmm. whack him. But like, I do think there was a conversation here that was like that it was like, we know you want to do this and we want to keep you. But you got to know there's no more bows afraid after this. Not for a long time, unless you make us a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, I, I listen. I have no problem with with him being greenlit. Hey, here you go. It's just the, the budget. You just mm-hmm. it, it, you, when you look at this script, you can't give that much money. And here's the thing: what was what was he gonna do? What was Astor gonna do? Was he gonna run somewhere? Do you think Warner Brothers gonna give him thirty five million for that film? No, Neon wouldn't have that cash. He had nowhere to go. Yeah. So I think that that's the thing. It's not that I. It's not that I think Bo's afraid it should never have been made. It's just the budget to product. The disparity between those two things is a chasm that I just can't even fathom how they greenlit it at that price because, he, again, he had nowhere else to go with it. So, yes, I understand that we're going to give you this, but now you got to give us that. But what was he going to do if they said no? Right, right. I, I, yeah. I, all I got to say is... He just wouldn't have made Bo, yeah. I, the <laughs> fact that we now have a recording of Eric Weber saying, I don't believe that Bo is afraid shouldn't have been made... That that's all we needed. We got yeah. it at that budget. At that, well, you know, you, uh, you know the, those words aren't as important. Yeah, yeah. You gotta stop. You gotta stop a quote somewhere. I always uh, say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh God. Um. Well, that, I'm glad we got that on the record. So let's mm-hmm. talk just in general now a little bit about where we see how we feel about this summer. Cause we got you in here, Eric. So we're going to get your general thoughts. You've seen fast X mm-hmm. and I've heard it's obviously not a review, but your episode where you talked about just general thoughts, it seems that you like it. You know, the mm-hmm. last fast movie sort of underperformed though. Again, that was summer 2021. It was the COVID summer. So you almost mm-hmm. have to throw that out, but th- that is a franchise where you feel the momentum had stopped. People were talking mm-hmm. about it in those terms. It peaked with the, you know, Fast 7 and the, the previous movies. Now that you've seen the film, do you feel like the momentum might be back? Do you, do you have a positive feeling about where the audience is going to be for this new Fast and Furious movie? Yes. Uh, after seeing it, it changed everything. Okay. I mean, before I was, I was just like, I don't, this film's done. I mean, the Fast and Furious franchises, why are they even making a 10? And then you watch the film, and I had a hell of a lot of fun with it. Way more entertaining than F9. I was not a fan of F9 at all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Fiero in Outer Space and all that. This film doesn't have any of that. Now, granted, it's still the same old absurd stuff that's happening that's totally ridiculous, and you just roll your eyes. But it's not at that level where it's just beyond the pale. So I think that... This film will do very well for word of mouth because it delivers upon what people want from a fun summertime film. Turn the brain off and enjoy. And there's so many cameos Mm -hmm. and callbacks and all of this in the film. I was super impressed with a film that I really had no expectations for. So after seeing it, I'm going to raise my expectations substantially for this film wow. as we go into summer. And it's it's only going to bode well for the rest of what's to come, assuming that it's as you know even half as good as Fast X, which I can't believe I'm saying. Wow. Right wow. What wow. would you say, is there a value add in this movie? You know, is Momoa something that you think is going to really resonate where, where audiences are going to say, I've seen a lot of these movies. But this has that something extra that's going to make me want to see this one. Is Momoa that? Is there something else in this film that you think is going to work as the sort of marketing plus one to, to you know, the way The Rock was when they brought him in in Fast Five? Well, Momoa for sure. Um, and he's 
lights out. He is really good in this film wow. and perfect for what, what the franchise needed. Um, I, I liken it to Gary Oldman in The Professional. That's essentially the version of the bad guy that he's playing in this film. It's, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that just rejuvenates and injects life back into the franchise. Momoa here. And then also, as you may or may not know, it's all over the place because Universal wants it out there. The Rock is back. Now, he's not in this film for okay i'm not gonna no spoilers but he's back it is it is purposely is out to there. help you know yes it is a hundred percent it's purposely out there because they they know that the tracking is lower here so they're trying to get this thing you know revved up as we roll into the weekend but you watch these reviews are going to be a lot higher because if i'm hard as hell on films and I'm telling you, when I was, I came out, I was like, oh my God, I am shocked at how much fun I have with this film. And I think that's going to be the general reaction from the majority of people who watch it. Yeah. Yeah. The Rock situation, I do think, is also mutual because The Rock needs a win right now. Yes. And this is a series that, you know, it, you know, he was franchise Viagra. He really injected a lot of energy into the series and people love him as that character. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a mutually beneficial situation for both of them. Yeah. This, this, After Black this Adam, has, 100%. Yeah. yeah. This has to work. I mean, listen, nothing has to work. The Rock is a giant star. He's going to get a lot of movies greenlit. But in some ways, this does have to work for him because he is really uh, taken on the chin the last few years. Black Adam was a fiasco. The XFL is a fiasco. The, 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 the Rock has a lot of, I think, perception issues. The fact that he's doing all these Netflix movies that nobody likes, Red Notice, Red One, come on. So he needs <laughs> this to work. And... It's it it is amazing that the Rock is coming in and kissing the ring, you know. After the the all the back and forth of him and Vin Diesel, it really shows the position he's in right now that he was willing to come in and get back into this franchise. And Clayton loves back it because Clayton Finn's was always house. Team Vin. He was always Team you know Vin. I was Team Vin. Listen, I know that they're both insane egomaniacs. There is no doubt. There's no good guy in this. Mm -hmm. But there was something about Vin Diesel that I gravitated more towards than The Rock because The Rock is just about moving product. Everything's a widget to The Rock. And Vin seemed to have some artistry to him. That was my take. Right, right. And now it's it's nice to, you know, The Rock's back playing in Vin's backyard. And we're going to see how this works. I mean, if they can keep it together for this last film, for Eleven, I mean, and people are going to like this movie from what you said. I'm I was low on it. The The previews don't make it look like anything special. Mm -hmm. But now I'm very excited. We're going to mm -hmm. see it opening weekend yeah, anyway. But still, I'm very excited for it. But listen, this movie does well. And then 11, there's no telling how big that thing could be. That's if correct. The Rock is back for a full movie. That's right. Right. And that's exactly how you're going to feel when you get done with the X. You you're going to want to see 11. And, and I, for me, again, if you just said, I would say this tonight, a week ago, I'd say, you're insane. There's no way I would ever utter those words. And then, boom, you watch the film, and you're like, I want to see Fast 11. Right. That's amazing. So, and let's let's just quickly look ahead and get, Eric, I want to get your big picture thoughts on would you think the biggest hits are going to be this summer that we have coming up and a pick for a bomb. So when... Clayton and I did our summer movie preview a few weeks ago. I think immediately we felt buyer's remorse. We were very high on The Flash. Is this going to be the biggest movie this summer? And I think the movie we both felt like we underplayed was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Neither of us had that oh, in yeah. our top five of the summer of what the domestic mm -hmm. earners could be. Immediately felt like that was a mistake. So I know mm -hmm. you're a big Tom Cruise guy, huge Maverick guy. Are you feeling like Dead Reckoning Part 1 is going to... It's not going to do Maverick, but do you think that has a chance to be top three domestic of the summer? I think it's number... I'm going to put it at number one. Wow. Honestly, I, I really am. Um, I think it's bigger than indie. Uh, I, I Listen, I don't know about you guys. Whenever I watch the indie trailer, the first one did nothing for me. The second one is better because they cut back on the CG, which would, the first one was just nonstop. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I really... I I think that the film that's going to be a film that depends on how great it is 
if indie is a great yes. film, then then it pushes it higher. If it's just good, it's gonna falter more, right? It, it really needs to be not just good but great. I feel like, and I think that Mission Seven is a little more protected. People will see it even if it's just good, but I think we're going to rise above that. I really think that's the film because of the Tom Cruise shine off of Maverick and that trailer's been playing since back at Maverick. People, every time that trailer plays in front of a movie, and I've been in how many movies since that thing debuted, the trailer, everyone always reacts to that. And so I, I'm telling you, if I had to bet on one film this summer, it is Mission Seven. Yeah. What's your What's your thoughts on Mermaid? Now, um, it is one of those like like the four huge '90s movies, or maybe that was late '80s. But you know that that resurgence of Disney animation back then that everybody kind of knows. And the other movies have been billion dollar babies. Do you think this is going to be a billion dollar baby? I mean, listen, I haven't seen it, so it's hard. See, that, that's what I always want to see the film because it changes so much. Yeah. Um, you know, once you see, like, great example, Maverick, right? So once, the second I saw Maverick, and I saw it, you know, two weeks before it opened, I said, this film is going to be massive. Like, mm -hmm. not, I, before you're just like, yeah, it'll make some money. I mean, did anyone really want a Top Gun sequel? And then you watch it and you go, oh my God, yeah. this is going to be a huge, colossal hit. And that's, I need to see Little Mermaid. But based on the people that I know that have seen it and the general reaction to it, it doesn't sound like it's that next level, the word of mouth that comes out and says, you have to go see this. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it has a Lion King kind of number at all on that, okay. which is what, 1.6 mm -hmm. billion worldwide, something like that. For Lion King, I think it can get to eight eight fifty. Okay. I, I don't think it can get to a billion. But but again, yeah. it just depends. I need to see it. Uh, but I I also listen. I'm gonna. I have worries about Disney, the company, and something that a lot of people certainly on film Twitter don't ever discuss. There is a significant portion of the population in this country that is not happy with the agenda that Disney is pushing. Now, listen, we can disagree with it altogether. We can say we have no problem with it. That's fine. But there are people that do, and that's the reason why A Light Year and A Strange World did not do very well. They both underperformed big time. In fact, I, you know, Strange World, a huge bomb. That's yeah. not just about the film. That's about a segment of the population that goes to movies saying, I don't want to support this Disney film. And you can even take that into a little bit of Guardians 3. I feel like that's a bigger story than people want to, you know, they want to admit. Because, in you know, if you go on film Twitter, no one understands that. They don't get that, you know, they live in their little bubble. But the truth is, is that that is one of the factors of these films not hitting the numbers that they expect. So Little Mermaid could be affected by that. And if it is, then we could be looking at less than 800 million. Yeah. I well, the thing with Disney is that they are definitely like in a political conversation the way something like Universal isn't, Sony right. isn't, mm -hmm. like some Paramount. Mm -hmm. Like you never hear mm -hmm. anything about mm -hmm. any of that stuff when it refers to those studios. Like Universal, nope. nobody's talking about, well, what is Cocaine Bear saying? It's like Cocaine Bear is a, a bear on cocaine. I mean, that's what it is, right? Which is what entertainment should be. Not all bears on cocaine, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, exactly. I do think there's an element which we won't get dive too much into, but it, there definitely is like a, a side to be chosen when it comes to that studio for a lot of people, as opposed to other studios. Right. Mm -hmm. They they've almost just become, and it's not, has nothing to do with casting or specifics any of the movies. They right now are just a buzzword for a certain portion of the population that they're just railing against and so their movies could get caught up in that i mean i tend to think and i get what you're saying about film twitter sort of wanting to pretend that stuff i think with a kids movie the whininess of kids will out override any parents political agenda and i think if the kids yeah. want to see little mermaid enough they will wind their way to the theater no matter how much their parents are politically opposed to the Walt Disney Company. But then again, that depends on, are the kids really going to want to see this movie? Is the movie good? I I, I think, yeah. especially for a kid's movie, that'll override things. Adults will make their choices based on a lot of factors. But I think if the kids really want to whine to see this movie, they'll get their parents to go see this movie. Because And are these songs annoying. good? I mean, 
that's the thing. Do these kids want to go and hear these songs multiple times? I mean, I think that's going to be a big thing, too. And that's one of those things. You have to see it to see if these songs are any good. I mean, the way they're performed here is their new ones, all that stuff, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie, there's going to be a narrative around it no matter what. And I think in the end, it'll make a ton of money. The billion dollars is almost a with the China situation, is that even the barometer we should use anymore at this point? Um, yeah. But I think overall, it's going to be a top five domestic of this summer, no matter what, unless it is very bad, which the early, the early buzz on that seems like it will at least be fine. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not going to be Mulan. I mean, that's for yeah, sure. I mean, Mulan right, is right. one of those crazy situations. Or Dumbo. Right. Yeah, or Dumbo. Absolutely. So, so Eric, I want to get your... What is your one or two picks for a big movie this summer that you think is going to massively underperform? Un- Barbie is, oh man, wow! I'll tell you. Here's here's why I'm I'm frightened of Barbie is that it's not going to be for kids because we listen. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are too heady for that. I mean, sure, there might be elements that will work for kids, but it's not a kids movie. And I, so you're you're asking adults to go see a Barbie movie. So it has to be really mm-hmm. good. That's a film that's dependent on it being, I would say, great to do very well at the box office. That film has potential to bomb. Mm-hmm. I, wow. I I feel it. I I've talked to people who've seen the test screenings. They liked it. They didn't love it. And that's what I don't want to hear. I want to hear it's incredible. You have to see this film. It's so great. What Noah and Greta did with this. But nope, I'm not hearing that. So that is troubling. Wow. And I think that it is in a very precarious position, and it's going to be dependent on audiences uh, going along with her vision, and I'm not sure they're going to. Wow. Yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, Clayton, you could take it. You've, you've been... You've been the pessimist on this on this show on that on this movie up until now. So, yeah, I mean, we have a saying on this show: tweets aren't ticks. So, uh, there's a lot of online buzz about this movie, and it could just be people who like the idea, like to make different posters, you know, mm-hmm. putting their friends in the. Uh, this is Barbie who brunches or whatever. My take is exactly that: is that. This seems to me like the old school way of adapting an IP. Like this feels to me like the the original Mar- uh, 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 Mario Brothers movie in the sense of like we need to port this into something that is different than what it is, right? But again, Barbie is hard to adapt because what is there about Barbie? She's a doll. She's just a girl in a world. And it's like it's not like G.I. Joe where you know the battles are going to happen or Transformers where it's like, big robots barbie's hard to adapt and this feels to be like they did the same thing with the brady bunch movie back in the day which was a hit for its budget but they're banking on the barbie movie to be a tentpole and yeah i saw that trailer and i was like this is like humor with innuendo this is stuff that i don't feel like is gonna get those little little kids i just don't see it i mean i get the listen i i I agree. Something like Little Mermaid just has to be good enough and kids are going to want to see it and it's going to make, you know, 500 million domestic. uh, No problem. Barbie does have to be very, very good to hit that crazy expectation level, making 250 domestic, something like that. I guess as we stand right now, not having seen it, I'm still going to be of the faith that this will be that good because there's no bomb back Greta Gerwig. And until I'm proved otherwise, that's just what I'm, I'm going to believe. Um, I do think though, the little kids are very excited about Barbie. This is potentially still the untapped GI Joe or transformers for girls. And I think that even in the trailer that you might not love right now, little girls are just excited because Barbie is wearing the nice outfits and there's all these Kens that I still think it's going to work. I don't think they're, they're, they're excited. Gonna... about Michael Sarah, like kids are excited about Michael Sarah Ken. Like, that's what I'm saying, Pat. Like they, it should be, it should just be Barbie and Ken. 
And then you can do the whole multiverse of Barbies and Ken's later. I mean, are you seriously telling me that a kid's like, oh, cool, Michael Sarah? Listen, there's all kinds of Ken's out there. The, the little girls are used to there okay. being various kinds of Ken's. So show me a Michael Sarah esque Ken doll. Listen, I like Michael Sarah. <laughs> I don't like to like, I'm not trying to target the young man because right, I like right, a lot right. of his work. But I know what I'm you saying do. is that is that is what a, you know this about. Yeah, me. I know That's you like Michael Sarah. So Eric, you know I like Michael Sarah. Very interesting. It is a bold pick of Barbie as the potential big bomb. Um, because the easy way would have been to go, I think we'd all otherwise say Transformers. I think that is the Oh, the, the Beast Wars for for the big budget bomb of the summer, and Barbie seems to be the one that everyone we're all hoping is going to break out and do well. But you know, it has to do it first and and prove itself. So we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. So Eric, thank you for joining us. Where can our listeners find you on the dial? Where on the dial are you? On uh, YouTube, uh, just search Midnight Movie Talk, and you'll see the channel pop up, and we're live every Sunday night, and then, you know, whenever I feel like it during the week, usually after seeing a film, uh, going to see a film tomorrow, Theater Camp, finally, that was a Sundance film that um, they're finally releasing here, um, Searchlight is. So, yeah, whenever we see a film, we do it during the week, otherwise Sunday night, box office recap, and uh, the channel's going great, and it's fun, and a lot of really smart subscribers and viewers, and, and that I appreciate. All right. Well, and you truly fuck it. You fucking do it live. You're live, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? You, you, yeah, you're, no. You're full on fuck it. We're doing it live. A hundred percent. I. It's. It's just. I, listen. I used to do morning news. So I was a morning news anchor. If you guys can believe it, put yeah. me in a in a tie. Get rid of the goatee, and I used to do like. And it was always live. Like we didn't tape anything. So I'm yeah. so used to just going. Let's just shoot. Like tonight, they said, "You come on, let's go." I don't want to overthink it. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, but I don't care. It's just, let's just do it live. And then we put it to bed. Right. Right. Yep. And That's you're what at, we do. And you're out there. You're, you're taking calls. You're taking super chats. You're out there, uh, bringing up trailers and stuff. Very, very exciting, fast paced YouTube show. So check out midnight movie talk. Of course, for us, email us the BO boys podcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails. Follow us on social at the BO boys pod. We, of course, are also YouTubers, so like and subscribe. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Smash, smash, smash. And, uh, yeah, I think. And, of course, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's the only platform that matters. And, Clayton, I think we've done it. We did it. Let's do a fast one this time. All right. Because there's nothing left to say except for. Until next next time. We'll smell smell you. you. At the box office. office. Nailed it.